Welcome back to another episode of Coffee with the Boys. We're here with Cody, Charlie, Megs, myself. But why don't we get right into things? Jammer, what have you been up to? You're in your regular spot. You just told us that you just got back from golf. And I want to hear how it went. It. Uh, I'm cold. I had to change all my clothes. It's raining out. It started raining on the second hole. It wasn't supposed to rain till like the maybe 13th or 14th hole. So we figured we'd get it out and get get it out of the way it's booked for a while um it started raining on the second hole miserable the whole time you know rain gloves coming out people asking each other you got extra glove you got an extra glove like what's going on here mud balls everywhere um yeah it's a little bit irritable right now sorry <laughs> fair enough golf in the rain is never fun especially when it's a little chilly out cold out it's supposed to be an enjoyable event when it's not gets on people's nerves what about you megs we got that nice beautiful backdrop there again what have you been up to yeah beautiful backdrop as always um nothing too crazy i cooked my first uh first turkey today some uh some people are going to start calling me bobby flay soon i'm uh you know what i i'm not gonna i would toot my own horn i think i'm pretty good cook i'm, I'm pretty good in the kitchen so um and that, yeah it was pretty good I had to call my mom a few times, not going to lie, but there it is. Yeah. Isn't that cool good. how we're, we can still just like, I got to call my mom. I don't know this recipe. I don't know how to cook this. Like call her and like, ma, do you know? And she just tells you exactly what to do step by step. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly what to do. And <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Once you do it though, it's actually not, it's not that bad. But then again, cooking for like a bunch of people it's all the side dishes that are that's when it gets tricky so doing that so like yeah i don't know how i'd do there but yeah had a leftover well a turkey from jason shuttlesworth he gave it to us as a christmas present and figured hey why not give it a go it was good what's it what's the difference or not even what's the difference why is it that we call our moms in order to get these things out of the way, iron them out. If we're having trouble cooking a recipe, anything like that, we always call our parents. We call our moms primarily. Google, YouTube, those things were created to alleviate these pains of our parents having to pick up that phone call from us every single time to tell us the most basic and minute details. What was wrong with Google? What was wrong with YouTube in your situation, Megs? You revert to calling your mother in order to tell you how to cook. You couldn't, you couldn't just YouTube it? Just trust, man. Just trust my mom. They've done it enough times. They know. Yeah, like, and how? Oh, well, I was worried. I'm like, do I need to get a like thermometer, like heat? You know, figuring out what the temp is. She's like, no, just when it starts falling off the bone. Like, okay, easy. Like little <laughs> little things, just like little things. Like I'm thinking, I gotta go get this, this, and this. She's like, no, no, no. Even for like gravy, she's like, yeah, just get some cornstarch and the juice is there. Just mix it up, and you're laughing and. I still have got gravy anyways, but um, <laughs> it's just the little things. I Googled it too, for sure. But I, yeah, trust. I just trust that woman. My thermometer on a budget was always uh, stick the, the metal fork into the top of your meal. See if you, it's hot on the tongue. <laughs> it's hot on the tongue. It's done. If it's not, then keep cooking it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Chuck, what have you been up to? You got that again. 
we got I, I call them Joe Walters, the memorabilia wall in the background there, but it was a Brad Gillies mural. What have you been up to? Oh, it's a J dub. That's a J dub right there. Oh, it is J dub. Okay. That's a J dub pick. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> not much. Nothing to write home about, man. Just golfing, kind of, kind of doing a status quo. So you always got uh, the best uh, ambient lighting. You're, oh yeah. You always Phillips. You're always in a mood, man, and I love it. Dude, I got it. It's honestly the best thing I got. So I have these two light bars. One's one's here, like a little bar, and then I have four light or two light bulbs, and it's all. Wi-Fi related, so you could change it, so I could do a little bit of green. Oh, action. Look at this guy! Little, oh, look at this smokes. guy! A little nightlight action here. You know, you got the whole, the whole spectrum, the whole color spectrum. So, I just try and try and do it, try and wind down a little bit. You know, set, rest the set eyes, the mood. Oh yeah. Speaking of the color change, and I guess we can jump into this we'll get a little off track right off the bat here, which is perfectly fine. But what color are you going with tonight? This podcast is being recorded before the big game, before the finals of March madness. What color are you setting those beautiful lights to? We're going, we're going all in on Butler, man. Talk about a, oh. talk about a game. Talk about dude. that, that buzzer beater was like every kid's dream, you know, and people are grilling them for the, the, bank shot get out of here like you if you were in that position man you would take whatever you could get to walk off to the f- final four I, i'm all in on butler they're doing you know who's that. the kind adam morrison baby it's the, they're doing it for adam morrison you know who's the kind of guy that would give someone the gears for a bank shot is the guy in my bottom right hand corner jammer he's the <laughs> first person that would let you know that probably doesn't count Banked it. They'd probably take the shot back, replay it. But what a final series to that game. I mean, I don't, there hadn't really been any games where it was necessarily down to the wire like that. There were a couple, but I don't, and obviously I'm I'm not going back in the statistical records here, but games that left you on the edge of your seat. Houston, I think had two of them throughout March Madness, but that was the first one where I was like on the edge of my seat waiting for the last play to happen. Um, and what a, what a series. Right when you think UCLA's – I didn't think if they took it to overtime, I really didn't think they were going to fare too well. I thought that Gonzaga was going to take the game pretty handedly. Uh, but they didn't need overtime because Suggsy, what a, what a player. What's more impressive, though, that, that three or – it was him who had that block, right, the block dunk? The block was legit. That was just it was sick, unbelievable. And then to turn the other way, I mean, that's a that's a four point swing right there. You know that keeps them in the lead, and it's just a really good game. I loved watching uh, on Absolutely. Instagram afterwards, watching uh, all the UCLA students and fans celebrate when they tied it up, and then like, immediately the the you know tear in their eyes and in their face, like. <laughs> Just they're just dropped their emotions just drop from a high to a immediate you know low and you know seeing them crumble in feet pretty amusing. Are your emotions more defeated when you have money on the game or when you've just you're just an avid fan or you went to the school? What emotions are are stronger? Uh, I guess it depends how much money you got. Like uh, I don't know of anybody who's really heartbroken when when it 
happens to their, you know, if they pick the team and they're going to win a couple bucks, I don't know if anybody's too heartbroken, but I'm sure there's people out there that would be, but I would say if you're, if you're a diehard fan, if you're, if you go to the school or if you're, you know, been a diehard fan of that team for a while, that's total. It's like when the Leafs blew game seven, you know, a few years ago, you know, we were, we were at a bar, me and all the boys and we were celebrating hard and there's a couple of Bruins fans there and we were just in their face chirping nonstop. And then the last 10 minutes, last five minutes in the third period, we were pretty quiet, pretty, pretty down and out. <laughs> All right. Hypothetical situation. Say you've got like a $5 wager on like a 10 game parlay. You've got a couple hockey games mixed in. That's your final game of the night. You're on the verge of winning 50,000. Are you more upset if you went to the school and you're a fan, or are you more upset oh, if you got the money? Fifty thousand for me, man, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Fifty thousand. Next question. Especially a parlay, your last game on your parlay, and it doesn't hit, and something like that happens, or they, you know, it's worse. Yeah. is when the game is already out of reach, but the subs come in and somebody runs down the court and like <laughs> goes in for a layup or just chucks one up, especially when the banks, like the banks so, open, like come so on. So that's what, KJ, that you just did a realistic story count. of my like Thursday or Friday night last week. I had a five five game parlay. I was four and oh, last game was, was the favorite that I took. It was Vegas, Golden Knights against the LA Kings. Vegas was like a huge, huge favorite. And I had, and I had him on my parlay. So I went to bed, you know, thinking, all right, this is in the bag. This, I don't, I'm not even going to, I didn't go to sleep. Like I was just laying there watching a movie. And I was like, I better check. They were down, they were losing. And I just said, you, oh. <laughs> man. Well, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if that's worse. Usually those are the situations. If there's a late game, I'm in bed by the time I wake up, feed Tatum. I'm checking the score at like two in the morning. That's my time to check in, see if I won money or lost money. But I think that what's worse, Jesus, I lost my entire train of thought. What did you talk about? I talked about myself losing a huge parlay um, Thursday night. I had a mass. I legitimately lost every train of thought that I had going into that. You segued me perfectly into something, and I don't even remember what I was going to say. I have no idea. Wait, well, you got to leave this in. You can't cut it now. Oh, okay, Jimmer. <laughs> <laughs> Make somebody else look like the fool on Fair here. enough. No, I, I honestly, I have no idea what I was going to say. Um, talking about basketball, though, one thing I did want to bring up, and I, I don't, did any of you watch the women's game? Or any of the highlights of the women's game? Are, at we, the end? are we? Are you segueing into the double bird? Because I'm just going to say that might be my top five favorite sports mm. moment of all time. Well, that's a good point, first of all. And if anybody listening or even anybody on here that didn't see, the double bird was by the Arizona coach. Flipped the double bird. She didn't realize she was on camera. And she was just fired up after they won. And she was celebrating with the girls. And I think she might have let an F-bomb go in the celebration. Oh, yeah. Also gave the double bird, like, oh, yeah. fuck everybody type deal i think that's actually what she said i think she said fuck them or fuck everybody something fuck like everybody that, else whatever. is what she said yeah um which is kind of ironic given the fact that on the total flip side of this equation she was at halftime i believe halftime of the finals 
uh, breastfeeding her newborn. So we've got a little bit of a double dynamic going here where she's on the verge of cussing out other teams, but also the mother on that side. But no, what I did want to talk about was, and Joe had brought up this Joe Walters. And if anybody hasn't listened, go back, listen to Joe Walters podcast. It was awesome that we did with him. But what he had touched on was a situation where he was playing with Jammer at the time and Jammer was getting shut off late in the game. And he was the recipient of an, a pass to pointer and leading to, I believe it was the game winning goal. And there's a situation in the women's game where Ari McDonald, who absolutely without a doubt, was the best player on Arizona, maybe even the best, although Paige on um, UConn won the uh, player of the year within the women's side of things. Um, She was, I think, three games in the tournament. She had 30 plus points. Like She was without a doubt Arizona's best player. Late game heroics, they give Ari the ball. There's six seconds on the clock. Obviously, she's taking the shot, but in the clip, she gets the ball with six seconds left. She starts to dribble. She literally gets three of the Yukon girls or no, sorry, the Stanford girls up on her, defending her, totally abandoning their matchups. Two people right in the corners, wide open for the game winning shot. She turns around, throws up a prayer. It actually almost goes in. But what I wanted to, to segue this was kind of like in a situation, Jammer's already been there, but how many people, that's why Joe said that Jammer was such a great teammate because he was willing to give up that, last second opportunity in order to help the team win the game. What are your thoughts? Even if you haven't seen the actual clip or what happened in that moment, what are your guys thoughts on the star player taking that last second shot? We've Joe talked about Kobe and talked about Jordan and LeBron taking that final shot, but what differentiated jammer in his eyes was being able to step back, understand that for the betterment of our team, I might not need to take this shot. I might need to step back for a second, despite whatever happens. Ari on this situation, although the best player on the team takes the last second shot, they lose the game, but she's got multiple team members wide open to potentially win the championship. What are your thoughts? I think as a coach, you trust, you want the ball in your best player's hands. And the difference is that you trust them to make a decision. So if they go up, and take that shot they go up and if they trust their teammates right uh like i'm when you brought up jordan i just thought about you know him passing the ball to steve kerr right the first time it didn't go in the second time it did right but it's just like the trust with your teammates right that's a testament to you know to him right, right building that trust throughout the years and you know and then obviously with with jammer trusting his teammates as well yeah i think uh I think I think it's situational. I think it's it's a lot to do with sports. You know, basketball they've they've taken shots with people in their face all the time. Um, you know, hands blocking. They 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 know how to get it off or how to release the ball. Where in lacrosse, it's a little bit different. Whereas you know, it's if a guy's right in your face, you know, you can't really get a good shot off enough to go in. So you, you know, it's uh, it, it for me, it's circumstantial and and what sport it is and and uh, you know how they react. Obviously. You know, hockey's the same with lacrosse where you can't really get a good shot. So it's you're better off to, you know, to pass it off. But, you know, something like basketball where they that's what they're used to. That's what they've they've been doing their whole lives is, you know, shooting with hands and arms in their way. So I like that you brought up the, the situational in terms of what sport it is, because the last question that I wanted to ask on this was exactly along the lines that you're talking about getting that that shot with whether it's your hands and your your face and depending on the sport 
but is it different in basketball in the sense that as a coach, you live and breathe with it, knowing that, or even a teammate, if the guy that's the, or girl that's the top player on the team takes that last shot, are you more okay with it? Because the chances are you have tomorrow to get another last chance shot. And then maybe two days later, you got another one. And then you've got 86 more on the go throughout the season versus lacrosse. And we'll specifically say lacrosse because hockey, you have more games, obviously, but lacrosse, you're talking about an 18 game season. That guy's taking a last second shot. That might be the difference literally between making playoffs and not making playoffs. If you take a shot with five guys on you and it's just a floater versus passing it up to, the guy for a layup right right on the crease and i'm glad that you brought it up but does that have any relevance to you guys do you think yeah but you know it it does when you got games to play but this was to go to the final or this was to win the finals win. right so it's it's a little bit different in uh, in the sense you know that that this was like our, our last shot of the season no matter what um you know obviously in a perfect world they would have been able to set up a better play and and have her shooting with her hands free but i think I think everybody knows, you know, there's somebody on your team, no matter what sport, where, you know, you want them to have the last shot. You you feel confident and you trust that they're going to hit it. And, uh, you know, in basketball, it's usually your, you know, the best shooter who they want to take the last shot. So, you know, in, in the Jordan and LeBron's case, you know, you, you trust them no matter if they got somebody on them, if they got two people on them, hands up, you know, you trust that they're going to do what they always do. Fair enough. Last thing that we're going to get into before our podcast's interview, we've got a guy that I don't, we'll call him King Betch. I don't know where Betch came from, or we'll say Bitch, Betch, whatever <laughs> he wants to call it. But we'll get into that once he actually jumps on because we've got some good questions for him. But the thing I want to talk about, I said that we're recording this on Monday. It's before the NCAA March Madness Finals. It's also before the Masters Championship. And Masters Championship twice – in less than eight months, I think it's five months, uh, pretty unique scenario, but I want to know who you all have as your, your winners, as your champs, who's coming out on top. Spieth had a hot little week previously, but is he your favorites? Who do you guys got? My favorite, uh, I called it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've always been a Spieth fan. He's, he's been, uh, he's been, you know, kind of shit in the bed lately, but he's, he's been coming on, coming on these last couple, these last couple tournaments and, uh, been getting, back to his old self here. I, I, I joined a Spieth bandwagon a long time ago when we, uh, when he first signed with Under Armour, because that's when I was, you know, signed with Under Armour. So I just thought, you know, supporting a fellow athlete there. And, um, you know, he, he, he's won it. He's won it twice. You know, he should have had it three times, you know, so I think, uh, you know, he's playing well right now. I think the chips are aligned. Maybe you're his fan. Cause you guys had the same hairline, but moving on, Megs, who do you got? This punning is ridiculous right now, too. Um, who do I have? Who and is there a bet where you can pick anybody like but DeChambeau as long as he doesn't yeah, win? I, seriously, I think he'll he'll crunch. Chuck Chuck mentioned in our in our group chat that he was going to crumble late late uh, round heroics are not going to be his thing. Um, also, and this is on the same track, but a little bit different, talking about the the gambling side of things. There's a lot of people that are making big bucks just simply betting on whether it's Thursday, Fridays in your um, groups of three, who's going to win out of the groups of three. And you pick your five group parlay, who's going to win e- e- each group of the day. 
some big money coming out of that, which is an intriguing thing. I'm probably going to jump on board with that. I put out a, a video previously before the podcast ever even started where I was picking some of, some of those bets. But uh, I think that Bryson, anybody but him, I think that's a, that's, I like that option at it. I don't know Bryson personally. He's a big, but, he's a big Thursday, Friday guy. Like he always seems yeah. to come into the weekend with a pretty, pretty good lead or like good momentum. And then, Saturday's a little iffy, you know, leaving putt short, kind of missing things. And then Sunday, it's just full wheels off for that guy. Like he's his worst enemy with everything else. But I don't know. I, I think it's going to come down to three or four guys. Uh, I think last year, what, what was it? Last year was a record breaking year just because it was later in the summer or it was later in the fall. Um, yeah. so the scores were super low, but it'll be interesting to see how it is, you know, back to normal. I'm going with John Rahm. I think he's been playing pretty good golf these past couple of tournaments. He just had his, you know, birth of his first child this past weekend. I think the uh, stars are aligning for him. Um, Add strength. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think, you know, Spieth is going to be in that conversation. Dustin Johnson is, you know, obviously reigning, reigning champ. I think he'll be in that conversation too, but I'm going to, I'm going to go odd man out and go John Rahm. I think I'm going to hope that Dustin doesn't win only because I'm not looking forward to the dullest interview of 2021, like last year. <laughs> we need a, somebody with a little bit of charisma to win the championship so they give their wife a nice kiss. Although Pauline is in the picture, that's great. But it was a little bit of a dull interview. I've heard dull interviews from him before. Hopefully we get somebody better. Before, Actually, last thing, before we get into our, our Keo interview, um, and Chuck actually sent a really good thing in the group earlier. That was very funny because it touched on a point that I sent the group saying, apparently there's a thing with Amazon that's coming out where these employees are overworked and they're forced to pee in bottles and they're not allowed to go to the actual bathroom. Now, couldn't imagine a world where that's the case, but some places that's apparently a thing and the video Chuck sent was absolutely hilarious. We'll link that in our, in our bio so that some people can check it out. Um, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on that because I know that even in sports, sometimes you got to really go to the bathroom, but you're always, you're always able to go out whether, I mean, well, personally, my dad never really, he, there was always something wrong. If I had to go pee in the middle of a game and I had to leave the bench, I never did it because I was always fearful of what might come of that because it was always frowned upon, but you could always find a way to go to the bathroom. Amazon, apparently that's not a thing. You got to pee in bottles. What are you, what's going on here? It's nuts. I don't even know what to say. Like, <laughs> It's so bizarre. When I saw that video the other day, I just had no idea what it was even about. And then kind of prepping for this, you sent those notes over. I was like, that makes perfect sense now. Like I, I get it, but I don't know. I just, just another bad look for Amazon in it. And a year of them, like adding themselves on the back for everything great that they're doing. Just, just not a good look. I almost want to think that it's not a mandate that they're allowed and that, Maybe the person or the people just want to hit a quota or just want to work. I, I don't know. I just want to think of the good in everybody, right? So I want to hope that it's not, you know, frowned upon to, to take a break and go to the bathroom. But um, uh, stranger things have happened. Maybe they're a company that really, truly follows after their leader. And maybe Jeff Bezos is the kind of guy that pees in bottles because he works too hard. And everyone wants to be like them. And to your point, Jammer, maybe people want to be like Jeff Bezos and they just want to pee in bottles because they need to get their work done. They need to hit quotas. Who knows? Um, 
but if that's final thoughts, what do you guys say we kick it over to Keo? Yeah, let's uh, let's hear what Keo has to say. Without further ado, I want to welcome a three-time National Lacrosse League champion, a three-time Man Cup champion, a Minto Cup champion, a two-time NCAA Division I champion, a proud Irish National Lacrosse team player, a favorite in any locker room that he's been a part of, the floor sweeper himself, Mr. Stephen Kio. Thanks for having me, boys. Wow. <laughs> I guess wow. the better question at this point is what haven't you won? Jesus. I was going to put more into it, but that's enough. I I didn't want to be too nice. I didn't want to be too nice on this one. I didn't want to be too For nice once to in this your guy. life. You could be nice to me. Well, I guess the hat he, size is probably already a double X. It didn't need to go anymore. It'd be custom ordered. Yeah, you little bitch. I guess we might as well. Just quick question before we actually get into the nitty gritty of things. Where did the uh, where did that term come from? You've been calling people it for I don't know how long. I know that I've been on the receiving <laughs> end of that terminology all too many times. Where'd that even come about? To be honest, I I, I can't even remember where that came from. Uh, it might have been from the Six Nations Chiefs locker room or maybe even before that, but uh, I don't know. It's just something call everybody in the locker room, call the uh, trainers. Saudi always gives it to me. Lobber with Rochester would always chirp me. And uh, I don't know. It's just something I'd always call my roommates, like Jammer and Kyle. Right? <laughs> I'm done being your roommate, buddy. <laughs> One time was too much for me. For anybody that uh, has never heard Keo and I were roommates, right? <laughs> maybe even one of our first road trips it was in new england and we had a good night out and everything and we woke up in the morning and it's about two minutes before we got to leave but the previous night kio had told me he said hey you know like just wake me up and i'm not going to be easy to wake up but you got to nudge me and everything and at this point i don't even know if kio and i had a relationship before this and so it's two minutes before the bus is leaving it's one of my first trips and like sitting into my head i'm like do i wake this guy up like he said nudge him like i don't want to i don't want to be that guy that nudges him but we got to go like i don't want to be late so i'm nudging him and he's like okay just stop it we'll be fine i'm like the bus leaves in two minutes we got to go he's like the bus can wait <laughs> so did we make it on time know, or no we were. i'm sure a couple other guys were late especially in new england we i think we we're we might have been the first ones anyway because i held you accountable Oh, yeah, for sure. I gave you permission to, to slap me, wake me up, make sure I was on time. Speaking of slapping, Keo, how about when you straight punch me in the face? <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> and if it did happen, did you deserve it? <laughs> I think you. It's not my fault you can't. It's not my fault he can't. We need can't to know catch. the story. I tossed him a, a can and he doesn't even catch it. I said, Jammer, throw me a, a Bud Light and he, he didn't. He, well, he technically threw it. He pitched it right at my face. <laughs> so I think I walked. I think I walked up to him and, and decked you right in the face, right? About half hour later, I thought it was over and done with. Like took 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 my eye off you. Yeah, I had to get you when you didn't see it coming. There you go. I still ended up on yeah, top. Right. I think that's the only time we've ever really bickered at each other. I saw C. Yeah, I, I saw see. CP's Instagram post when he he, he said, uh, who would win in a fight? Yeah, Casey Powell. For those of you who don't know, I put out an Instagram post uh, asking for any questions. So I got to – we'll save them till the end, but 
Yeah, CP, who's tougher? And he wants to see a scrap. One day, maybe. I don't I don't think so. You seem to follow me around everywhere. So I don't know if we'll ever. Well, I'd like to win championships, so you can't blame me. Oh, yeah, you you got it, man. Maybe I'm following <laughs> yeah, you around. I, know. I think ever since I beat you out for rookie of the year, you've been following me around. Man, that's the that's the number one thing on my cheat sheet right here. I wanted to talk to you about your junior A coming up uh, through the ranks here and ask you about uh, your rookie season and, and how tough it was. And you guys had a stacked team in Toronto. Um, how was that your rookie season? And, and did you fit in to junior the way uh, the way you planned and, and dreamed of? Uh, yeah, we definitely had a stacked team. You know, Kyle Wales was, I think, the leading scorer. Um, some of my good friends, Kevin Ross, Wes McDonald, were on the team. Um, it was definitely uh, a little bit to get used to, but uh, I was kind of a goal scorer, I guess, going into my rookie year, but uh, we had guys like Matt Holman to do that. So I did anything I could to really just help the team, and I think it, uh, it ended up just, you know, setting picks, getting loose balls. Uh, I think I fought 10 or 11 times that year, but, uh, you know, it was good. We, uh, I, th I think uh, we lost in the finals or the semis that year, um, but it was definitely tough, but uh, it was great playing for the Beaches organization and, uh, you know, playing with some kids I grew up uh, playing with in mine. It was, it was amazing. Um, ultimately, it would have been nice to win a Minto Cup with the Beaches, but uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. Yeah, I guess a little bit of it that I that I missed out on on the segue was if you didn't have a chance to read to read your letter to your younger self that uh, that our fellow co-host Luke helped you write and and put on his uh, Mondays with Mags blog, um, you talk about you know growing up uh, being a huge Beaches fan and, and watching and going to games, chirping goalies from behind the net as you're a kid. Um, you know, how did that feel when you finally made it to there? Did you feel you know, accomplished? Did you feel you wanted more? Um, what was going through your mind on that at that point? Well, I definitely felt accomplished. Um, I think growing up in the beaches, uh, like obviously you play hockey in the winter and then lacrosse in the summer, but uh, every night at Ted Reeve, Monday nights, you'd, I'd go there with a few friends. We'd sit behind the bench and, uh, you know, we'd chirp, chirp the opposing teams. And uh, I think it was just something I would always do. And I'd kind of watch some, some guys on the floor that I looked up to and uh, try and mimic my games. You know, there was a guy, Matt McLean, I, I looked up to and I always watched him and enjoyed him wa uh, watching him play. Um, he actually passed away uh, not too long ago. Um, he was a great, uh, great player, one of the triplets for the beaches, um, legend down here. But, uh, you know, getting to that junior A level, it was it was it was great. Uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect, um, but it, uh, it felt great putting the beaches jersey on. And, uh, you know, I think it's helped shape me um, as a lacrosse player I am today. What's incredible is what you just said before about your rookie year fighting 10 or 11 times. So what, you're 16 years old coming in. I think that's what made is what's so cool about your story. Um, at least that was my favorite part on just like talking to you about it all is it's like, I don't think there's, there's no... Like everyone needs a little bit of Keo in their game and there's just no more Keos left <laughs> like that play the game like you do set picks like getting to the middle 
right? Fighting, loose balls, you know, like, no, like senior A, the guy that gets, I can imagine old guys in senior A and when it's a six on five being drawn up and you're like, please don't put me in the middle. Like, please don't put me in the middle. And you're, you're lined up on the other side and you have like a uh, Rory Smith, Billy D, Dave Brock that are going to two hand you when you're in the middle. Like, so what was, was it just like, Hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Like you mentioned Matt Holman's there, like, uh, you know, and some good savvy vets there. Is it, is that just the mentality coming in? I'm going to do whatever it takes contribute or like, what do you contest, uh, your well-rounded game? Right. Cause it's full of creativity, finesse, right. You know, I could go on, but how is, you know, how, how did you, how does that come about? Um, yeah, I think it's the mentality just to do anything. Um, to help the team but when I was a little bit younger I, you know I got into quite a bit of fights so I wasn't really af afraid to you know stand in there with with some guys but uh, in lacrosse I was always you know an offensive guy and you see some D guys kind of taking liberties on like you know the the superstars or the better players and I just it was my mentality that uh, if they're going to do that I'm going to go up there and grab the guy and you know and fight him and just kind of hold him accountable if he's going to two hand, you know, our best player, then I'm going to, I'm going to come in with a hard pick or, you know, grab him and we're going to fight and then it's going to end there or, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. So I know it's just the way that I was, I was um, brought up, I guess, I guess um, a lot of it has to do with watching like the Toronto Maple Leafs back in the day. Um, they had kind of guys like, you know, Shane Corson, Darcy Tucker, Ty Domi was my favorite player. And uh, they were just smaller guys and they, they could actually play and score, but they would also, also stand up for, uh, for their teammates. And that's just something I enjoyed. And um, a lot of the times, you know, playing with Jammer, it, it was, to me, it was, you'd rather have a guy like Jammer on, on the floor and people were going to take liberties. So I wouldn't be afraid to go mix it up and just let them know that uh, that wasn't going to be, you know, tolerated in a game. So I don't know, it's just mentality. And, I think having those, having that on a team is just, uh, it kind of brings the team together and I just, anything that I could do to win, um, I would do it. And if I got beat up, I got beat up. If I scored goals, I didn't really care, but I just wanted to, uh, you know, overall just help the team and be a good teammate and be, uh, be a winner, I guess. That's unreal. I also think that's interesting because we, we talk about you being not a tough guy, but having that toughness in your game. But then you also went on to play at Brewster Academy and playing the field lacrosse game. is totally different from the box game. What was your transition like? Not that it needs to be this extravagant transition, but you talk about being able to stick up for guys. If somebody's taking a liberty on somebody, being able to stick up in, well, 10 to 11 fights in a season is a lot of fights. When you go to Brewster Academy, you're not necessarily able to show that aggression in the terms of field lacrosse. What was that transition like for you? I think that transition was, uh, it was a little bit dif uh, difficult. Um, growing up playing field lacrosse in, in Ontario, it was basically give it to the best player, let them clear it and, and, and stuff like that. So going to Brewster, they had sets, they had plays, and it was pretty, pretty new to me. But um, one thing I just found out in my, in my game and in, uh, in field lacrosse was just finding open spaces and trying to get the ball in and out of my sticks. So um, I just worked on that and I tried to succeed as much as I could at, at that and just pick one thing and, and work on it. And 
you know, I think in field across, you're not going to be able to fight or anything, but, uh, you know, I was the kind of guy, if somebody, if the ball was on the ground, uh, you know, I would, my eyes would light up and I would just have my chance to kind of hit them and get them back for that two hand or, you know, cross check they did earlier. So, um, it was just a lot of that. And then a lot of hockey background with hitting, um, just trying to line guys up and, you know, hit them legally and just trying to, <laughs> I guess, see where they're going to be when they pick up a ground ball, which way they're going to turn. Um, at, a, at Syracuse, me and, me and Jammer did this quite often when we were on a, a path together. He, um, and it's just something that I just thought was part of field lacrosse, right? You're, you're getting whacked all games. So whenever you're riding or there's a loose ball, like that's your opportunity to, you know, give payback and, if one thing I loved about I loved doing was one of the rides. Obviously, it wasn't planned, I but like you two um, be pressed. You know, me being me being the slow guy, they would always well. Keo always took the goalie, so we would always fight over who got to who got to guard the goalie on the clear. <laughs> so and he he was always standing. Your sticks up right away. You guys he are was both. always in the middle, standing in the middle, like where I couldn't get the goalie, so I had to go go wide and take a long pole, take one of the clears away. But I always knew that he was going to try and run me because he wasn't going to try and run the other guys. But I would always try my best to get in front of him to turn him back because I knew Keel was going to be trailing the play. And as soon as I turned that defenseman back, if he spun the right way, I knew Keel was going to be right there for a huge hit. It didn't happen a lot, we'll say. Like, it didn't happen every game. But when it did happen, it worked out perfectly that Keel was right there for a big kaboom. I loved it. <laughs> I guess that work ethic uh, got lost at Q's and Meg's. You and I don't get to see that as much with the Thunderbirds anymore. No, no. It's, uh, yeah. Holy smokes, you guys running off the floor. I could get any Thunderbird, any D guy in here talking about that. Is that all of us or is that uh, my roommate, Ryan Benesh? <laughs> oh, ben, Benny's number one. Benny. Love that. Next question. Benny's number one. Um, when you're talking about finding open spots, like being a crease guy, like that's where you really, your bread and butter in the field game was. Were, were there any, and I don't know, like maybe KJ or Jammer, you guys would know too, but was there a Canadian before that did that really well? Was like a predominant crease guy, or were you the one that maybe revolutionize that position. Like, Hey, we're bringing in, you know, more Canadians for that job. I think uh, one that comes to mind was obviously Zach Greer when he was a freshman and a sophomore, he, you know, he excelled at that. Obviously when he got to a junior and senior level, he, he did a lot more than just scoring, but uh, I don't know. I think just growing up playing box that definitely helped, but um, having great uh, coaches and teammates at Syracuse just, you had to trust that they were going to beat third guy and draw a slide. And, you know, in field across, if you follow your slide, you're going to be, you're going to be opened. And um, coming from box lacrosse shooting on a field net, it was, it was, you know, pretty, pretty simple. And you just use your, your body to get the goalie guessing uh, the wrong way. And um, just something I kind of, I'd always watch film. I used to always watch uh, Mikey Powell, Casey Powell and Ryan Powell highlights. So um you know, just watching their game. I always, I, I, I even tell kids now is just, you know, pick a few players and just watch how they, how they play a game. If it's in junior A or NLL or even, you know, NCAA, just try and mimic a few, few guys. 
Um, so that's what I kind of does make sense did. that you would watch Mikey Powell highlights. I can see their footwork resemblance makes pretty accurate. Every, everyone tells their guy, <laughs> everyone tells their guys to, to pick somebody that your game resembles. Keo went with the Mikey Powell, one of the greatest players ever. And I can see it. I can see it. Oh yeah. No, just like, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch, uh, I guess not even a kid. It was more like uh, at prep school or heading down to prep school it was Powell hour. And they would, you know, throw around the world behind the backs between the legs and just watching that and then going out and trying to practice. So, um, you know, he's a little bit faster than me, but uh, the creativity I just think is something that you can, you can always learn and uh, you know, get better at even as you, as you grow up, like uh, watching jammers still shoot twisters or, you know, other guys in the NLL, you're still always learning. And Craig Point had one of the best underhand uh, twister. Um, and I'd always try and mimic him, but you can always learn and just, uh, yeah, watching people is definitely a way. I would like to, to get into cues because we touch on, touch on Mikey Powell and I'm sure you have some pretty remarkable stories, but was cues for you always a dream school? Was that your dream school growing up or did you have another school that you really wanted to go to? Or was cues always the pinnacle? That's where you saw yourself in the future. Uh, to be honest, I didn't even really know anything about NCAA until uh, I went to Brewster Academy. Um, I guess the only thing I really did know was the the Gates and the Powell. So Syracuse was one of the schools I really heard of, but I never knew like how dominant and how good their their school was at lacrosse. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, just. When I went to Brewster, there was, a, I guess, um, one summer, one of the coaches down there, he's like, hey, let's start going to, to some uh, tournaments or visit school. So I went to a one-day Syracuse lacrosse camp, and uh, we drove down there at like 5 a.m., played till like 3, and then drove home. And the next day I got a, an email from Leland Rogers, I think, or maybe it was Coach Simmons, and he's like, hey, you guys, you want to come to Syracuse? And I had looked at a few other schools. I looked at uh, Stony Brook and Fairfield. Fairfield was actually high up there for me. I went and it was a beach house. Uh, all the lacrosse guys lived on the beach. So I thought that was, you know, party central and awesome. And then just the, and just the, uh, the campus was great, but then uh, Syracuse, the tradition with lacrosse um, got to me and I just uh, decided to go there and, you know, it's, it was, the best time of my life. Some of the greatest people I've ever met, you know, playing in two national championships and playing in all these different NFL stadiums was, was cool. And, you know, two white house visits swimming in Joe Biden's uh, backyard pool was pretty awesome having a barbecue with him. So it's just some things a kid from the beaches never, you know, you'd never think would happen, but lacrosse has given me so much. So I'm grateful for it. Speaking of Syracuse and, and you being the athlete that you are, um, one of my good friends asked me to, for you to tell a story about a, a foot race, <laughs> a foot race that you had to prove to prove uh, you know, your dominance, I guess we can say. Oh, yeah. So me and uh, Sid Smith at probably two thirty, three o'clock in the morning after, a, you know, a nice easy night at Harry's Bar and Grill. Uh, picking up some Jimmy John sandwiches on the way home. We got, uh, I don't even know how it came out, but I guess I challenged Sid uh, for a race down Euclid Avenue, about a 40 yard race. Um, 
we were a little bit tipsy and I think he had some sandals on and he dusted me somehow. <laughs> and that's his claim to fame. Quick dynamic warm up. I don't know how I don't I don't know how he smoked me, but he beat me up by the Dan Noble lunch somehow. matrix before you started running. In sandals and you had your running shoes and uh, from what I heard, you took a timeout before the start to tie up your shoes. <laughs> I think I got a nice little stretch in there too. <laughs> I think I was running <laughs> sideways though. Fair. So. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, we, you and I spent some time talking about it, but, and I, like, I even get chills thinking about asking you this, but uh, like, it's the greatest, it's probably the greatest comeback in lacrosse, right? You're the second national championship. And it will, you know, we spent time talking about it, but it's like, you know, and, and reading back through the article and just like your, your thoughts on it too, like that moment, right. Where you're down, you guys make this comeback, right. You're down a few goals, you're down one and you miss the pass. And then obviously make an incredible, you know, pick up the loose ball behind the back pass and like, you know, the rest is history, tie the game, jammer scores game winner. But, you know, if you could just walk through like your thoughts, on that moment right i know we talked about it but man i'm getting chills already thinking about it start with missing the pass start with missing the pass because i know that was in there and i and i can only imagine yeah. cody's probably sitting there going oh well if i was in that spot i yeah. wouldn't have missed it start there start there because like meg said it, it, it's it's not probably it is the best comeback in lacrosse history probably the best it is the best game in lacrosse history but I, I want you to start with that because you did touch it on it in, in the article with Megs. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I still, it comes up on Facebook, it comes up on YouTube, all that stuff. And even just watching it, I get, you know, anxiety seeing that, uh, that pass, but uh, I think we, we had a timeout and we, we came out and, uh, you know, Kenny Nims, one of the best players in, in NCAA that year, um, best passer. We just, we did a little bit of a switch and uh, I just missed the pass. I don't know if it was, uh, at the time I thought it was going to somebody else, but uh, here I am, uh, you know, this guy trusts me all year. He'll throw me anything. I usually, you know, I, I kind of pride on catching everything. And then here I am 30 seconds left in the national championship missing a pass where I was on the doorstep and, uh, you know, to tie it. And, uh, it was just, I don't know what was going through my head. We even just talked about now. It's still, huh? <laughs> the funny thing was the, the funny thing was too, that as soon as you missed it, you turned to, to try and run it down and you took like two steps and you just like waved your hand. Like, <laughs> And, then, and then I, I screw this. I'm not chasing that ball. Like it's over. And then I turned around and I gave him kind of uh, the the arms up. And uh, I, I think he, he said a couple swear words at me, but I wasn't uh, really focused on that. It was more, holy fuck, I just blew it. Um, <laughs> but our mentality that whole season, that whole game, I still remember before we went on that little three goal run is walking into the into the huddle and some guys are, you know, hitting their sticks on the ground, twirling their sticks. And I think it was jammer that, you know, just, we looked at each other. We're like, we're fine boys. Like we got this. Um, it was always, it wasn't wet. Like 
if we were going to come back, it was when, and like games of runs field lacrosse is all about that. Um, but after I missed that pass, we just, you know, with 30 seconds had to do anything we could. Kenny Nims made a unbelievable play, uh, knocked the ball out. Joel White, I think, uh, knocked the ball out after somebody else picked it up and then loose ball there. I ran as hard as I could, got to the ground, picked it up, kind of deer in headlights. Joel White looks at me or looks at me and just goes, Keel, throw it. I just took a glance and saw Abbott. And uh, like you kind of say in the, uh, in the article, like you do that in the backyard against the wall, you know, throwing it to your buddies. It's just something you always practice. And, you know, went to Abbott and he made a, a sick play to, to Nimmer to tie it. And, uh, you know, the, the disbelief, like having seen that happen in real time and just the crowd at, uh, you know, Gillette stadium was, was fucking, was insane. And, you know, it's a feeling that I don't think I'll ever forget. And, uh, to be a part of it's just, you know, unbelievable, just the hard work all year and being with those guys and, you know, seeing some of those seniors go out on top was, was great. And then Jammer scoring, running down to Sid, like it was just, you know, it was storybook ending, but uh, I almost blew it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not why I didn't want to like throw you under the bus with those feelings. Yeah. But no, like it's so, I, I believe that it starts like in the backyard, right. From you talking about the behind the back passes, watching, you know, pal hour, you know, the creativity there, like that's, that play is from you, just your stick is in your hands, you know, you, and it's that play is just automatic, right? Like it might be, you know, when you're a kid and you're like shooting hoops and it's like three, two, one, and you shoot for the game winner and you miss and you do that like 10 times. Well, yeah, maybe that pass was like one of them, but that was the one, right? That little behind the back play was like that play that you've practiced over and over. And I just believe, and it's like you've said before too, to kids, like pick a player, right? Have your stick in your hands, go out. Like there's, you know, that's the beauty about lacrosse, right? It's like jammer. You talk about like you're playing tree ball, not like wall ball. You're out playing, you know, throwing a a ball against a, a tree. Right. And that's, that's what you did. Right. But it's, you know, it's a testament to both of your guys' skill and just how often you had your stick in your hands. Yeah, the best thing about lacrosse to me is you need a stick, a ball, and, you know, a tree, a wall, or anything. And even if you're a beginner, you're going to start throwing the ball. You might you might throw it, you know, poorly at first, but then you're going to have to start chasing the ball down. So you're going you're gonna to learn pretty quickly to start, you know, passing it to the proper spot so it comes right back to you so you don't have to run and chase the ball. And, um, yeah, it's just something you can do in your backyard or anything and just – always practice that's what I did as a kid I would literally walk up and down the street with my lacrosse stick and you know throw the ball up try and catch it on the side just always doing something with my lacrosse stick and obviously it's uh it paid off so you and I Mags might have to jump off here as the only peasants that haven't actually won a national championship or even really done anything so we might be we might be out here quick (laughs) the Manitoba championship count Or, or Pine Falls. <laughs> you made it out. That's a good championship in itself. Oh man. I want to touch a little bit on on you know you're playing with uh Ireland lacrosse. Um obviously you being you know from Toronto, obviously a Canadian, but your Irish roots, 
Um, how did that feel being able to help Irish across, you know, and I don't want to say get off the map because they're, they've been there for a long time, but um, you know, taking, taking your skills and your skill set, and, you know, playing with a group of guys who have never played with a, like a professional like yourself or, or done those things that you have done. Um, was it tough? Was it a hard decision to go play for Ireland? Like how did that happen? Uh, you know, it was, it was an awesome decision. Uh, Jeff Dowling uh, reached out to me. Uh, my dad's from just outside Dublin. So I was even easily able to get the passport. Um, but it was, it was awesome. It was an unbelievable experience. Uh, you know, go over there for, a week to do to trials and uh, you meet, meet all the guys and they're all such beauties. They like to, you know, have a, a Guinness here and there, but they also love, love lacrosse. And it was a, uh, it was a cool experience just kind of, uh, you know, helping them grow and them just asking questions, you know, they're, they're used to soccer or Gaelic football or hurling. Right. So a lot of them are athletic, but they, they didn't quite have the, the lacrosse skills. So, during that uh, the time in the 2015 box championship, it was it was awesome to you know help them grow and just watch them, and uh, you know the passion they had for lacrosse and um, you know it was a cool experience and we we won a few games and it was uh, it was great uh, you know another guy Andrew McBride was there so uh, I thought me and him um, you know just shared some knowledge and. Uh, I'm hoping to stay involved with Ireland lacrosse for, you know, a long time coming and do anything I can do to help grow the game over there while it camps or, you know, equipment drives, just uh, help them, you know, continue to thrive at lacrosse and, and get better. Keo, you've, uh, we've touched on a couple of different things now. We've touched on some, some Syracuse stuff and we've touched on Brewster and kind of growing up in the beaches playing lacrosse, but you also, you, you may went on to play with the Rochester Nighthawks at the time and won three championships, but at, at the same token, and I, maybe this is a, a little bit down the line, you also were scratched before one of the championship games, but I want to get your, your thought on jumping into to that team primarily where historically they had a lot of great talent throughout the, the pipeline there and you going in, what was your excitement level? How were, what was your thought process going into, into that? And were you under the impression initially that you were going to have to play that same game that you were in junior in order to make it at the professional level? Oh uh, yeah, no, uh, getting drafted there. I was, you know, super pumped. It's a great organization. Um, and then just to be with Sid and Jammer again, I think was, uh, was, was awesome. And, you know, I knew a, a few other guys on the team, so I kind of figured I could fit right in, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I didn't want to change my game at all. Um, I kind of, I had a good season, uh, in senior leading up to the draft. So, I just wanted to do anything I could to, to, you know, help the team and uh, be successful. But uh, same thing. I just wanted to, you know, score goals, set some picks, anything I could do. And uh, there was other guys on the team that were putting the ball in the net. So it was just, I kind of uh, just laid into a role and kind of stuck with it and whatever uh, happened. What happened. was it like being scratched there then before that championship game? What was your mentality? Did you kind of know that that was going to happen or afterwards, Obviously, you don't want to be scratched for the final game, but each of us here, except for, I mean, the guy in my my bottom corner there has experienced that at some point or another. And we've all had our different outlooks on, on kind of being scratched. But what was your approach after after that game? I mean, you win a championship, but what was your approach moving forward? Um, yeah, uh, 
that was that was tough the, the second championship uh I had a pretty down year I wasn't scoring as much as I you know I should have um and heading into that that championship game you know I I played the semis so I was you know kind of sh- certain that I was going to be in but I think uh during first warm up or something I went to go take my stick or something and the lineup was up and I looked at my I'm like fuck where's my name and uh it wasn't on there so I came back out I think I told Jammer I'm like uh like I'm not in he's like what I'm like, yeah. So obviously I was fucking, I was devastated. I was, you know, disappointed. Um, but, you know, I could have solved and, you know, through it, through a fit, but championship game, I knew I was a part of the team to, you, to help get there. So, you know, I just kept my head high. I was, you know, trying to fire the boys up in the locker room. Um, I think that was probably my first time ever really being sat. Um, so it was a little bit uh, of a shock, but um you know we won the championship and that's all I really cared about um I could have played that game and you know got sad or had no goals or no assists but the ultimate goal was uh to win as a team so that was the biggest thing and uh the next I think that summer kind of fueled me a little bit and then the next year I I thought I came back um had a bounce back year um helped win the, the third championship ended up getting a offensive MVP that year but uh you know I think obviously that when that stuff happens, um, you know, it sucks, but you just got to make sure that you're, you know, you stay level-headed and you just be positive. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I have a lot of, uh, you know, respect for, for that team. And it was just unbelievable winning back-to-backs and then going on to win three straight. So. Yeah. I think that's a testament to how, how, strong we were as a unit as a, as a team as a group when you could scratch a guy like Stephen Keel in you know probably the biggest game obviously the championship game um one game final and a guy that has been there and done it uh you know but I think that's a testament to your character as well um you know being able to to put that behind you and and do what you did and, and be a, a strong supporter for the guys who were playing and uh you know that goes to show a lot a lot about your character and your you know, demeanor and the fact that it's just, you know, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to win, whatever needs to be done by you. And I think you've done a, a hell of a job your whole career so far and, you know, more years coming um, in, in doing that. Um, I think it was in Rochester. I, know, I mean, you've always been on, on the trainer's table um, getting as many free massages or, you know, free, <laughs> free foot rubs that you can get, but, you know, <laughs> when was when did the inner injury bug come and come and grab you like you, there you had a few years there where you were you were hurting quite a bit like most people probably wouldn't have even known you were injured um because it didn't change the way you played at all you still played you gave it your all and put your body on the line but when did the injury bug come out and grab you there and and kind of make you force you into some of the things that you had to do whenever we won our our second man cup with six nations uh I played with a torn meniscus, which ended up uh, leading to, you know, a bigger tear in my knee. And I had to uh, get a microfracture surgery on my left knee. And then um, ever since then, I was kind of bit by the injury bug, uh, you know, torn left shoulder, torn right shoulder. Uh, I played 2018 with a, a fully torn left ankle. Um, I couldn't work out for two or three days after each game. It was just blown up oh uh, damn it you know oh shoot 
Oh, I need that. <laughs> Get me that. Yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, just little injuries like that. I obviously I'm not uh, the kind of person to, you know, I never wanted to sit out a game, so I'd always try and battle through it. And um, there'd be times where it was, you know, too much to, to get through sometimes and my, my kind of uh, my play struggled a little bit from it, but uh, you know, there's, there was a lot. I remember uh, talking to you one time and I, my back was always messed up and I didn't know what was going on. And then uh, finally saw a doctor in Toronto and he's like, get an x-ray. So I went and got an x-ray and he's like, uh, you had a compression fracture in your back for the last like year and a half, two years. What happened? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> Um, I just always thought it was like a sore muscle. So I just kind of played through it. And uh, yeah, I guess I had, uh, you know, a compression fracture on my T6 at some point, but uh, just, yeah, anything I could do to just push through it and, you know, help my teammates and help my team. That's what uh, I kind of, um, you know, wanted to do. And uh, there's a few other injuries, uh, um, but uh, you know, I'm, Actually, with COVID and this little break, my body's never felt better. So, you know, I'm looking forward to a, a few more years at least in the NLL. Well, in, in hindsight, and especially in 2021 with everybody talking about, one, mental health, but also making sure that athletes take care of their body, again, in hindsight, is that something that looking back, you kind of kick yourself for thinking, all right, well, I'll just, it'll finally, it'll get, it'll heal on its own, or I'll wait a couple of weeks, as long as I play, it'll heal on its own, or now looking back on things do you wish that not a regret by any means but do you wish maybe you took a little bit more care or took that time off in between and maybe missed a game in order to really help your body heal or was it just was it simply all worth it in the end well i think uh obviously with the championships and everything it was you know it was worth it to me but uh looking back um i think one thing that i probably tell myself is uh take care of my body a little bit more um you know, having a couple banged up shoulders and running full speed into a guy trying to get to the net, probably not the best, uh, best thing for it. But um, yeah, it was just, that's just the way I played the game. And, uh, you know, want to continue to play the game is just do little things that, you know, other people don't do and, and try and, um, you know, do what's best for my team. But definitely looking back, I think there's some times where I, you know, would tell myself, you know, take a little bit more time with an injury, um, you know, to get completely healthy. And uh, I think if I did that a little bit more, um, you know, some of these other injuries might not have popped up, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fun, but uh, yeah, definitely it would just take care of myself a little bit more. Well, apparently at one point you forgot about the Mikey Powell footwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. They... I Go ahead, Jammer. I think, uh, I think, you know, li listening to you talk and, and obviously anybody can, can Google all your accomplishments and, you know, your, your scoring prowess and, you know, your rookie of the year in junior and your best graduating player leaving junior. Um, you know, I don't know how you, got, how you got that one or both of those to be matter of fact, but um, <laughs> anybody, nobody would be able to doubt your love of the game. All these injuries, did it ever, did it ever creep into your mind that, you know, that you were over lacrosse or you're done with lacrosse um, and just want to just pack it in? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as you get older, injuries, uh, they take a little bit more time to 
to heal, but there definitely was some times where, you know, I, I'd want to go to the gym, but I, I wasn't able to, like, uh, I wouldn't be able to run because of my ankle. I wouldn't be able to do any upper body because of my shoulders. Um, so it definitely crept in my mind quite often, but I got such a good family and, you know, just talking to them, they'd always be positive and supporting, but, uh, you know how it's just so hard to walk away from the sport of lacrosse. It's given me so much. And, uh, you know, just reaching out to people, I think too, is, uh, is definitely something that I did and it, it helped me big time. You know, some people have been through injuries, um, you know, they can, somebody who's been there before can help you a little bit, but it definitely crept in my mind and, uh, you know, but I just love the game so much and I, I want to continue to play. And, uh, you know, if my years to my playing years are, you know, up soon, then I'm hoping to stay involved coaching or with minor systems. You know, we're doing a great thing up here with uh, Beast Athletics and Toronto Beaches Minors. So I think uh, I think I'll always be involved in the in the sport. But there was definitely times throughout injury that I was, you know, just ready to, to pack it yeah. in and walk away. A um, little bit a little bit more on your junior you know, career. Just a quick question. Uh, you won. 2004 Ontario Junior A Rookie of the Year, and you won the 2008 um, Best Graduating Player. Do you, do you feel like uh, you know that somebody else should have should have should have won those two awards over <laughs> over you during those two years? Or <laughs> I, I, think you're, uh, I think you're I think you're mistaken on the on the graduating player though. Yeah, I, I think, think I it was that. came with 500 bucks. It came with 500 bucks. Listen, Cody, Cody would never forget. <laughs> oh, it did, yeah. No, I... <laughs> that's why. That's why Cody knows. Uh, yeah, that's why he knows. I don't know. I must have uh, slipped my mind. But... <laughs> no, there was, uh, I think it was me, you, and uh, Dylan Evans going for the rookie of the year. Somehow, uh, Dylan Evans used to play offense. And top right, man. Where the money, top went, right. But, uh, he was, he, he was money, but... Um, yeah, obviously there's a lot of other people that were deserving. And uh, um, I think you had uh, like 30, 40 more points than me. So I don't know how that happened, but uh, I'll take it and uh, you'll never get it back. So I'll always have that. <laughs> and you'll always be bitter. So I'll always hold that over you. So. You've also you've also come full circle. You were with the the Nighthawks at the time, and then ended up getting traded into to Colorado. And then you've come back into to Halifax. What was I guess the experience of getting traded like for you? Because you were part of a prolific team. You won championships. You were part of that that mold that founded and created that dynasty that was the Nighthawks. What was it like being traded and then ultimately coming back to to the team that really you ended up starting with? Yeah, you know, getting traded is always. Uh you know, mixed emotions. Uh, I remember the, the first time I got traded from Rochester, uh, it was my birthday. So Kurt, I get a call from Kurt, Kurt Stiers. I'm like, oh, okay. He's wishing me happy birthday. But no, he's like, uh, uh, yeah, Keo, we, uh, we traded you to Colorado. So, you know, the Nighthawks and Kurt gave me, you know, so much um, those years that I was with them. And uh, it was, I could tell that they were going a little bit of a different direction. They wanted some younger guys. They brought in some, uh, you know, young righties. So get into Colorado, you know, I was familiar with a few guys, Dan Coates, one of my good friends from uh, Six Nations. Um, 
it was definitely different flying every weekend to a, to a, a home game, but, uh, you know, coming back to Rochester and then ultimately Halifax, I think, um, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And, uh, coming back was, you know, was awesome. Unfortunately, after I got traded to, uh, back to Rochester, I had, uh, I think a torn, a torn left knee and I'd have to get that drained every single, you know, Friday before our game. And I just wasn't, uh, wasn't the player that I knew I could be. So we ended up shutting myself down for the, the season, but uh, it was great coming back and being with Halifax is unbelievable. And we got a great, uh, great locker room, great coaching staff. And uh, you know, the city is, is unreal and I can't wait to get back out there. But uh, I think it's just, it's funny how some things happen. And I think it was always meant to be that I'd come back uh, to Rochester so yeah, one of the one of the questions a little bit. One of the questions I got written down here: uh, the best roommate you ever had. I know you you you're a guy that you <laughs> stick with the same roommate uh, a lot. So I know you had a, a roommate um, in Rochester the whole time you were with us uh, at the start of your career until you got traded, and then uh, you know you you immediately got into another bromance uh, in Colorado. So I. <laughs> Who, who, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who, who was a better roommate? Out of you and uh, my current No, roommate? I wasn't your roommate. No, J-Dub was your roommate. Oh, J-Dub was my roommate. Um, J-Dub was the man. He was, uh, he was hilarious. Listening to his stories and just being around him, him, he's one of the, you know, the best guys I've, I've played with and just down to earth dude. And, um, and then there's Benny. And what can I say about <laughs> Benny? Uh, no, he's a beauty. I think uh, I think all the roommates I've had have been uh, been awesome. Um, Colorado, we would switch every I think every game. So I had Coatsy, I had Jacob Rue, who's you know one of the best dudes. Timmy Secrets. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think I've always had some some good roommates. And then Benny, but uh, Joey Rez was a good one too. He would always just make me laugh. I think, I think me and you had one, uh, our first man cup out in uh, Victoria. We were roommates and I, I think you, from then on, I think you might, might've told people that you never wanted to room with me ever again after spending a week and a half with me. Well, that was because after the first game, you told me I needed to get in shape. So I was a little bit better. <laughs> so we walk into the room. He's like, He's like, Jesus Christ, Keo, you got to get in shape. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so then after that, I was real bitter at him, but I, I took it to heart and I, I guess I got in shape and helped uh, win the man cup. But no, I think, uh, I think any of the, the roommates, the, the best thing I think about lacrosse is there's not many guys that uh, you don't get along with and they're all pretty much beauties in their own ways. And uh I think that's something special. And uh, there's definitely a lot of good guys on, on Halifax and Colorado when I was there. And then definitely Rochester, um, you know, J-Dub was something special though. Beauty. Joel White as well. When I was uh, living down in Rochester, one of the greatest guys there is. I don't, I don't know if you guys have more questions. We, we could talk for hours with, with Keo about the, the stories that he has, the memories that he has. I get one of the final questions that I have before I kind of end, end my spiel here is what's your favorite lacrosse memory? There's a lot of things that you've experienced um, 
in your lacrosse career that a lot of us never will. And a lot of people never could even imagine. Do you have like one favorite lacrosse memory? Not off the top, off the top, not off the top of my head. Um, you know, I think, uh, I probably have to go with that first, uh, Rochester Nighthawks championship. Um, we were pretty much an underdog all year. Um, I think we had to win a game against Washington to even have a chance at the playoffs, which we ended up doing. And then, uh, we went on a little bit of a run and, uh, I think we were down what nine, four or something at half. I think we we're down five, one, we we're down five, one, five, one. And then, uh, we ended up coming back. So I think just, uh, you know, growing up playing lacrosse and then, you know, playing junior a going to Syracuse and then finally getting drafted and, uh, you know, what better way to end your first year than holding the uh, Champions Cup was something special. And to do it in front of uh, Rochester fans was awesome. Uh, you know, they were always great to us. They were, you know, always loud and just uh, supportive and uh, bringing the Champions Cup to, uh, to Rochester was great. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've always said too, like with our time in Rochester together, um, we may not have had the most fans uh, according to attendance wise, but the fans that we did have there, you know, they were passionate and they knew the game and they knew us as players. And, and, you know, they were, you know, they were very, very good to us, you know, after the games, whether we had a, a tough game or, or we played really well, you know, they would let us know. And I, I really always appreciated that about um, the Rochester fans is how passionate they were. You know, they, they knew the game, they knew who we were playing against. Um, and, and, you know, the, the crew, the Nighthawks crew, you know, they did a great job, you know, trying to recruit us more fans because they honestly felt like we should have been the, the, you know, selling out the building every night. And they would have been there um, pushing it just as much as we were. So I really appreciate the fans in Rochester as well. Yeah, they were always great. And uh, I still remember the, the noise that the, the, you know, the Blue Cross Arena had that, uh, that championship game. It was unbelievable. I, I don't think it was sold out, but you know, just the, the noise you, you would have thought it was. And then hanging out with those guys at the stock market after, I think that's what the bar, the bar was called. And, uh, and it was, you know, just always, always great and good to, you know, just shoot the shit with those guys. And they were always great people to us. Before we wrap up, I guess I got to hit my Instagram and, and ask you a couple questions that, that got posed. Um, native underscore ninja nine wants to know, <laughs> did you get a nose job? <laughs> I don't know what his name is also, his name is also Haru nine. Um, the great native ninja Haru. So <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. I don't know where that question came from, but he's just still mad. I beat him at golf in the Bahamas <laughs> with my ass. So. I like that. Can you push on your nose okay. for us right here? Just, I know the, I know the listeners won't be able to hear it, but I think that may be why what he's talking about, how you don't have any I don't have cartilage in your nose. There, so nose. Yeah. And another question I got, um, will you buy Katrina a puppy? Her and Joel white, both, uh, want to know if you can get a new puppy yeah joel throwing me under the bus there but uh we already we've already talked about it we have uh we have an agreement once uh, uh our renovations for our house we just bought are 
are finished, we'll uh, we'll look into getting a puppy. For uh, so wow, we'll have to talk when the renovations are up. So you're gonna slow play the renovations. Oh yeah, renovations never closed. stop. Yeah. <laughs> Home Depot's closed for uh, the next little while up in Toronto. So I'll put a halt to it. <laughs> no. Okay, that was a good one, boys. Uh, you know, thanks, Gil. <laughs> yeah. I knew I threw you under the bus a little bit, but that was. Uh, I think you were maybe awesome. You That's incredible, man. Maybe they you don't. Then you can go. Yeah, they don't make them there. like you. That's. Uh, I think what I was saying at the start is everybody needs a little bit of Keo in their game, and you, uh, you're like the perfect mix of of everything with finesse, toughness, grit. You know, can can really do it all. And if, you know, if I'm a young kid, you know, and are even a young pro coming into the game, like offensive player, it's like, hey, look at this guy. It's you got to find ways to adapt. And it's, you know, that shows shows testament to your game on what you've been able to do. And then obviously your character, too, and battling the injuries and, you know, the, the roller coasters. But holy smokes, what a what a career you've had. And and, you know. Like we were talking, you got so much left, man. Like anybody in the NLL can use a Stephen Keogh. That's that's the thing. That's it right there. Appreciate it, Megs. Good to see you, Stevie. All right. I hope everyone enjoyed that part, that interview with Keo. Obviously, one of our one of our favorite members that we've ever played with. A great guy, a little bit of a betch, but this is what it is. Jammer. Something that I will really want to talk about, and I sent over some some notes to talk about before the podcast earlier today, and you had posted something after I sent out those notes, and I thought that it was super important to to bring up today. But I want to let you kind of take that away. You segued in here because you one you put out the social post, and I know a lot of people saw it, but I want to get everything that you want to you want to lay on the table about it uh, on the table here. So go ahead. Yeah, I just uh, if you don't follow me. I've been over these last few years, I've been turned into quite the activist um, and just letting and just letting my audience know or my, you know, my followers know kind of kind of where I stand on a lot of these issues. But I'll just read it real quick. It was a tweet by uh, Don Wilson. And it's uh, he tweeted with recommendations against travel. Canadians get a tiny glimpse of what no freedom of movement is like back in the day. First Nations were never allowed to leave reservations without a pass from the Indian agent. Food for thought, COVID-19 Canada. So I just thought about it and I realized like, you know, where we got it a lot better than, than uh, you know, the people that came before us, our ancestors. But, uh, you know, it kind of put it into perspective for me um, how tough it would be, you know, to, to, to grow up in, in, that, in that time era where, you know, they got put on these reservations and, and, you know, obviously there's no, uh, you know, if anybody hasn't been to a reservation, doesn't know, you know, there's no gates or anything like that. You can come up, come and go as you, as you freely please. But when they first got um, put on these reservations, you know, they had to ask permission to leave. And if they got caught off the reservation and that's where the term, you know, he, he's off the reservation or that person's off the reservation. That's where the term comes from where, you know, they had to ask permission to go to the grocery store or to go to a supermarket and pick something up or the hardware store or, you know, anywhere off reserve. They had to ask permission from an Indian agent um, who then had to give them, OK, you're allowed to leave. 
write it down in the system. And, you know, if you got caught doing something, you had permission to be off of your territory, off of your land. And I just thought, um, I just thought that was, you know, people should know that people should know, you know, where that term comes from and where, you know, why it's so harsh of, you know, being on the reservation. Now for anybody who, is non-native or i guess not even non-native even some natives i guess could could hear this and me myself primarily is like when is it an okay time to say that somebody's on the reserve or even just use the term reserve or is it not okay at all to use and some people might not know the answer i and i'd like to hear your opinion on that whether that's an okay term to even say or what 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 is the best way to approach a situation like that or a conversational piece yeah that well that's what that's what it's called that's that's uh, you know, that's what we call it, the reserve or the you know the res for short 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 term, short term slang kind of is it's the res it's the reserve uh, in Canada we call them reserves and in the U.S. they call them reservations and um it's our territory it's our it's our piece of land and when you're on the reserve that's you know it's okay to say you're on the reserve it's just uh, like I said in the in the tweet or like it said like it said in the tweet was just. Canadians are feeling the harsh reality of getting told that they have to stay home and they, they can only go, you know, outside their home for, you know, the necessities and, and they're stuck at home where, you know, that's, that, that was a harsh uh, reality for our ancestors, my ancestors. And, you know, they got told that they weren't allowed to leave, uh, leave their jurisdiction. They weren't allowed to leave their, you know, their territory, their, their allotment, unless they got permission. And, uh, you know, that's not right. And I think that Jammer brings up a really good point. This is why I wanted to talk about it because there's a lot of people out there that are obviously struggling right now, especially small business owners who are in a really hard spot, especially in Ontario where they're not able to open their business. And and with all the rules, it's not for me to get into by any means, but this is a, this is something where we're not talking about having to close down shop and not being able to go into your small business. This is a point where Jammer is just trying to bring up a simple fact of way back when people were not allowed to leave the reserve unless there was grants given to them in order to go. And that's all that we're trying to say in the, in this notion is that it's not, Oh, what was us? What was me? We're not allowed to leave. That's not what we're trying to talk about. We're trying to talk about the fact that people need to understand that back in the day, along with a lot of things, things were different and things were harder and the privilege that we all now have in today's society was not there back when this post that Jammer was referencing. So I don't want people to get mixed up and saying, oh, these guys are just talking about how they need to be thinking about the past and this isn't even relevant. This is very relevant. There just needs to be a, a better approach from people to understand that there was something systemically injustice going on way back in the day that was not right. And that's what Jammer's trying to trying to get at. But I think that in a lighter note to, to kind of end this thing, Sometimes we do like to talk about college lacrosse and we like to, to bring that up. And a couple notes that I, that it happened and that I sent you guys over the weekend was that one primarily is that Ethan Walker became the leading point scorer in Denver lacrosse history, which is very relevant and important given the fact that guys like Wesley Berg, Mark Matthews had been there previously prolific goal scorers in their own right. But a guy like Ethan Walker coming in, I think it was his 256th career point to take over guy like Wesley Berg won a national championship with Denver, got over that hurdle that really a lot of guys were never able to. I want to get everyone's thoughts here on, on that situation. Despite wherever he went to school previously, 
the Denver situation. How was that to, to everybody? And how, what'd you guys think? It's pretty cool to say the least. Denver's legit. They, I mean, they're, they're in the conversation. I, I think in that top five group with the ACC teams, they're, they're good, but I, I mean, not to take away from Ethan Walker. I think he has a better supporting cast than Bergie did. I would even say, and Matthews did, and even Noble, and who's the other one? Cam Flynn, Tyler, was it Ty Pace? Tyler Pace? Yeah. I think he has a better supporting cast right now, but Ethan Walker is legit. He's very good. He's no no slouch, but Denver's legit. They're going to make a run at it now that they have TD. They're going to make a run. This this member number 60 of the team. Jammer, what are your thoughts? Number 60. I love that number. He's got to keep that. You know, he's got to rock that. But but uh, it's good. It, it, it's definitely going to go a long way in the terms of, of recruiting. Um, you know, he didn't have the biggest name, um, you know, coming coming up through. And, and even still, I bet you he feels a little bit underrated and, uh, you know, feels like a, a little bit slighted in that sense and plays with a chip on his shoulder. So that's good. But, um, you know, I think it's going to do something for the program as well, where they can say, you know, everybody gets a fair chance here and you don't have to have the biggest name, especially for a lot of Canadians who are trying to pick and choose, uh, you know, where they want to go to college. They can see maybe you might not have the biggest name up here in the, in the Canadian ranks, junior A, junior B. Um, you may not be lighting up the scoreboard, but you know, you know, with coach Tierney there and Denver's a, like, like uh, Meg's was saying, a, you know, strong, strong team that, you know, you go there and you work, you work your ass off, then you're going to, you know, get a fair shake and get a solid look at it. Something I want to, I want to touch on this because we t- we're talking about being an all time leader in points, which you can, by no means can take away from that. But jammer, a guy that has played at the pinnacle and playing at Syracuse, you play against high level competition. You don't play really against many fair weathered teams, especially back in the day when Syracuse was a powerhouse. I would like to play devil's advocate in the sense that, I always like to bring up the conversation of who are you playing against? Because depending, and Denver has a very strong schedule. I'm not saying that, but when you become a point leader, whether it's at the NCAA rank in the, the top 10 or in your, your school, I always like to think about who are you playing against? Because if you're really playing against the top talent in the entire world, I think that some people don't have the points that they necessarily may have because the defenders at a certain level in division one lacrosse are a lot better than guys on other teams. And I, I want to know what some thoughts are around here, just under that concept, under that umbrella of like, does it matter where you go or does it just matter how many points you get? Is that, is that what matters nowadays? Or say a guy, what's the difference between a guy that gets a hundred points in a season versus a guy that gets 50 points in a season, but the guy that got 50 points is playing against ACC competition every single game, especially in a COVID world, or is the guy more prolific that had a hundred points in the season? Is he more of a big name now? What are your thoughts? It sounds like you may be referring to Lyle Thompson who went to Albany. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I, ne- I never said a name. I'm saying in general. <laughs> you're out here. You're out here giving literal, literal, literal facts. 
And maybe maybe Lyle well, never maybe, jumps on Maybe him. we can maybe. ask him about it. But hey, he's he goes to Albany. He's he holds the record. What does he have? Four hundred points. I don't know. Let's ask the guy that played in the ACC. Or was it at the ACC at the time? What were you guys? No, before? I was in the. I was in the Big East. I, oh, Big okay. East we were in. So yeah. maybe, maybe it's not okay. Maybe Lyle does have a. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was a D guy. You didn't. You didn't even address the question. You didn't even address the question. You accused me of saying that Lyle was the victim in this storyline of mine and never gave. It sounded like you were alluding to well, Lyle scoring a bunch of goals playing Fairfield like scoring 10 goals a game and crap playing against crappy teams rather than, you know, playing ACC games. Well, I mean, all right. Or some people uh, could assume the fact, Charlie, before you go, some people could assume the fact that maybe you're the bad guy in this situation and you brought up the Lyle thing. Lyle, you're a great guy, but until you jump on this podcast, yeah, maybe you were playing against, maybe you were playing against great teams. Chuck, what do you think? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to give you some support here in your, in your argument. Because if you take a look at points in the NCAA right now, you've got, you know, a clear number one and two, Chris Gray with 56 points, Michael Sowers followed up with 51 points. Then you have Ryan Smith, RMU, sorry there, Mags, 49 points. And then Asher Nolting, high point, SoCon, 48 points. So, you know, that argument I think is there in a sense. You take a look at those top two guys. I mean, they're playing the best teams week in, week out, right? And then I'm not I'm not discrediting what Nolting has been able to do. I think he's put himself on the map this year. I think Ryan Smith, obviously drafted by the Nighthawks, he's an NLL guy. He's going to have a good career ahead of him there. So there's talent. There. They also played JU this weekend. So are you saying that <laughs> Jacksonville University isn't good? That happens to be <laughs> – our owners. I'm, I'm not team. saying that, but I'm just saying, are we okay? Are we I'm just asking. I'm just asking. looking at, if you're looking at conferences, <laughs> that was, that was the question. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not avoiding answering the question. I'm going right into it because that's what KJ asked. So. <laughs> yeah. By the way, side note, I did bet Kurt on the game, but we didn't bet anything. We just put in scores each quarter. I think we tied two two. Anyways, <laughs> sidebar over. What were we talking about? <laughs> Jammer, what are your thoughts? You're the last one to chime in here before we we catapult this into and finishing the the topic of this. But what are your thoughts? I think it does matter, um, but there's never going to be the asterisks there. Uh, I think a lot of the times you go to the schools and you and you know what you're going to get. You know with the uh, you know. Nobody can negate that Mikey Powell was in his era by far the best player. Um, but he, you know, he, he's not in the you know top five of all time points, what, even though he was a three-time Dewalado winner, um, you know, he's never going to be, is he a three-time, three-time, four-time All-American. I know for sure. He started off, started every game. So, um, he played against the best player against the best teams every night, you know, night in and night out. Sometimes, you know, he got, he didn't put up the points that uh, he would have if he played against, you know, a, a lesser division or a lesser team, uh, unranked team, you know, he was getting, uh, you know, every night was a, was a hard night for him. So there is a, you know, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, you know, when you pick your teams and pick your schools, you know, you know, whether, 
who you're going up against. You know, you know, if it's going to be a, a battle every single game and you know, if you know, some games are going to be a, a heck of a lot easier. You know, I got to go to, you know, I got to go, I didn't have to go, but I got to go to Onondaga community college and, and, it, and it is only a community college, but um, you know, some of those games uh, were complete blowouts, but we also had the one or two, three games a year where, you know, you had to you know tie your shoes up tight and, and, you know, be ready for it and prepare. Um, some nights it was, you know, point night and, and starters only got left in for the first quarter. And then it was the subs after that. But sometimes, you know, those hard games, we got to play the whole game. And um, it does make a big difference, uh, you know, on how many points you can put up. Yeah, I, this is the last thing I'm going to say. And I think you do actually bring up a good point about getting taken out from the game, uh, whether it's halftime and you know you're playing a lesser opponent. And putting in other players versus like playing the whole game and just point night, point night, point night, but whatever is what it is. Well, I hope that everyone enjoyed this podcast. I hope that everyone enjoyed the interview with Keo. I know that we enjoyed it with that little bitch that he is. And we'll see you guys again next week. Thursdays, tune back in and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Coffee with the Boys. Let us know, like Jammer said before, let us know what your thoughts are. Give us some feedback. We always appreciate feedback. Let us know how we can improve what you guys like, what you guys don't. But otherwise, we'll see you and you'll hear us again next Thursday. See ya. Tell me what you want. You can get it. Tired of-